Thank you for listening to the Motion City Church Podcast, where at our core, we are about leading people into an authentic, growing, and thriving relationship with Jesus. Today, we are in week two of our teaching series, The King's Speech, a summer in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's listen in. Man, there's something about an amazing speech that moves you beyond where you're at. There's something about an amazing speech that inspires you. Every time I watch the Mighty Ducks, I feel like I can fly. I'll be honest. I feel like I could strap on some skates, bust out a flying V, score on the Hawks, and win the game. Like there's something about a speech that moves you. And as we look at uh, over the ne- over the entire summer through August, the uh, the Sermon on the Mount, what we're seeing is a very specific, intentional moment where Jesus begins to speak and preach publicly and intentionally, given an enormous group of people. And as, as Jesus is speaking, what he's doing is, is he is communicating to those who are listening, his, his 12 disciples, again, and as well as multitudes who have been following him since he performed his first miracle. What he is going to be doing is he is going to be initiating and speaking into existence a, a conduct for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, who as the, uh, John the Baptist and Jesus both spoke of this coming kingdom, how we are to live in preparation of the kingdom. And if you weren't here last week, we set up chapters three through four, basically kind of set the stage as to what's going to be happening in the next three chapters. And I just want to encourage you to, to go back and listen to that message. It was just a lot of introduction, but it, it helps make sense to where we're going. And so you can listen uh, on iTunes. You can go to the website. You can uh, listen on the app. Um, but this is where we're going to be. And so today uh, we are going to be diving into uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter five, uh, verses three through 16. So if you have your Bibles or you have a a Bible app on your phone, I want to just invite you to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 15. And as you're turning there, um, I just want to tell you a story. When I was growing up, uh, my dad um, did something that changed the course of my life forever. My dad, uh, he, he, he did something that whether he knew it or not would affect so many years of my life. What my dad did was he showed me the movie Back to the Future. My dad showed me the movie Back to the Future and it changed the way I looked at film and cinema and entertainment forever. He showed me Back to the Future and it rocked my world. Marty McFly, played by the great Michael J. Fox, was simply the coolest guy I had ever seen. He played guitar, he had a pretty girlfriend, he rocked some acid-washed blue jeans, He skateboarded behind moving vehicles. He had a telephone in his bedroom. And if you were a child of the late 80s, early 90s, that was a big deal. He had a phone in his bedroom. He wore a super rad red puffy vest over a jean jacket. The dude was just the coolest. I wanted so bad to be Marty McFly, and so what I did is I tried to wear the jeans and wear the jacket and wear the vest, and I would skateboard to the local comic book shop or Super America for either a comic book or a smoothie, or if it was a good day, a comic book and a, and a Slurpee, if it was just a good day. Never, never grabbed um, a car by the bumper and skateboarded behind it. I, as cool as he was, that did seem just a little dangerous. And so I never, have never done that. It's definitely still on the bucket list. But, uh, 
But man, I was living my life Marty McFly style. Man, Walkman with the earbuds, listening to Huey Lewis and the News, and I didn't even know who Huey Lewis and the News were. All I knew was that one song, and I listened the bejeez out of that one song. And it was just amazing. And then all of a sudden, I saw the movie The Karate Kid. And I thought Back to the Future was great. Then there was The Karate Kid. If you're unfamiliar with the Karate Kid, you've got Ralph Macchio, who plays Daniel LaRusso, who, who's in the process of moving. And, and over the process of watching the three Karate Kid movies, man, I was so enamored with this character. Man, I signed up for karate lessons like the next week and stuck with it, no, no joke, for five years. I'm a second-degree black belt. doesn't show it because I'm a little chubbier than I was back then. But when push comes to shove, I can scream really loud. I can scream really loud. No, but I was so into the Karate Kid, man. I was, man, I, I traded in my skateboard for a bike because the Karate Kid rode his bike as opposed to skateboarding. Man, I got head banded up and I, uh, and, and I lived my life wishing that someone would punch me in the face and give me a black eye because, man, that kid had a black eye all the time. And I was just like, this is the coolest. And so, again, live my life. And then from there on in my throughout the rest of them, I'm not going to give you the whole story of my life, but it went from, the, from Back to the Future to The Karate Kid to sports to uh, falling in love with punk rock music and being a part of that scene and f- going into ministry. And suddenly I realized probably about seven years ago that I have lived my life trying so hard to be so many other things that when I took the time to actually figure out who Steve Nyland was, I was very confused. I was very lost because I had spent so much time and energy trying to to be other things and other people without trying to figure out who I was, who my identity was, what I found my identity in, who I found my identity in. And I, I played this silly game with myself that I thought, man, with every identity, I thought that I was moving forward, but it's very difficult to move forward when you just move laterally from one identity to the next. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3, it says this. It's going to be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. It says this. It said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall, they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to say that as a communicator, this is an awful way to start a speech. This is just, it's, 
it's such a profound way for Jesus to begin speaking because as I, as I read his sermon, as I read Jesus' words, there's no intro. There's no stupid story. There's no humorous video. He just walks over to a rock, sits down, and begins teaching. And he begins teaching in a way that can appear from the outside incredibly confusing. And, and honestly, uh, for as long as I can remember, I thought the Beatitudes, this portion of Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12, is entitled in, in, in most every Bible, the Beatitudes. I thought it was called the Beatitudes because of some specific thing that Jesus said. Or just because it was Jesus and he had a good attitude and I want to be like Jesus. Honestly, I thought it was just the be attitude. Just be of attitude like Jesus because he's the one speaking. But as, I was, as I've been studying for this series, I've been studying for these messages, I, I've come to understand that the Jewish people had actively been speaking in beatitudes figuratively for forever. See, a beatitude is a standard Jewish literary form to express a point. And, and the way that these beatitudes would be spoken amongst Jewish culture, it, it was broken up like this. It will go well with the one who fills, and you fill in the blank. For that one shall receive, and then there's a response. If you're a parent who has a child with a free will, and a little bit of attitude, you have spoken in Beatitudes before. I know I have. And, and maybe yours went like this, because this is sometimes how mine go. It would go well with the one, you, who stops freaking out in the Target toy aisle, for that one shall receive another day of life. It could be something like that. But you know, you get what I'm saying? If you're a parent, you have spoken in Beatitudes before, and if you're sitting there and you're not a parent and you're judging me by the way I talk, you just, you just wait. You just wait. And, uh, and so, uh, but, but these are things that this is a way of speaking that Jesus understood that the people of this culture, they knew, they understood it. But what Jesus did, as he goes throughout his ministry, he's, he's trying to encourage people to reach beyond this earthly life and these circumstances. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to catch their attention for something further than right now, further than this earthly circumstance or existence. He's trying to point them to something eternal. And because what Jesus was trying to do was get people to listen, uh, to do, uh, was, again, was take their eyes off their earthly circumstance. And so he begins to use the word blessed. Not, it would go well for you. He begins to say, blessed. And it's so profound again that he says that word to begin his sermon because who he's speaking to is a group of Jewish people who did not feel at that time significantly blessed. Jesus was speaking to a group of Jewish people who were living under Roman military and political oppression. These were people whose land had been occupied by Rome, and Rome was doing everything in its political and military power to make sure that the Jewish people didn't forget who was really in charge. Jesus was speaking to a group of people who were tired and at the end of their rope. And Jesus begins his sermon with the word blessed. He begins his message by saying, you're blessed. And I think that it's so profound that that's how God would, how Jesus would begin his message because oftentimes, if you're anything like me, 
I am so much more available to the things of God when I am at the end of my rope. You know, when I am at the end of my rope, I am so available to God doing something spectacular and miraculous. I am available. My arms are open. I am focused. And these are a people who are at the end of their rope. And at the end of their rope, who's there? There's Jesus. And as we draw closer to God, and as as Jesus is instructing these people, man, you are blessed. As as you draw closer to God, God begins to bless you, and your identity begins to change from what you used to be to who God has purposed and planned and created you to be. And so as you draw closer to God, as Jesus is saying, as you draw close to me, you are blessed. And as you draw closer to me, and as I bless you, your identity changes and your character begins to change. Jesus says, blessed are, what does he say? He says, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And as I look at this list, what I see is a list of things that I humanly cannot do on my own. I see a list of things that in my own strength and in my own understanding and in my own patience and in my own grace and in my own love are impossible. And Jesus begins to speak, blessed are you who, and then he begins to list off blessings for those who are prepared for the kingdom's coming. This passage shows what kingdom-ready people should be like, who they should be like, what they should sound like, the actions of their hands and the intentions of their hearts as a part of the character as they begin to identify as followers of Jesus. And as I, I was just thinking through this list that Jesus speaks through in the Beatitudes when he talks about the poor in spirit. These are those who recognize truly their, their spiritual bankruptcy or have a, a, a genuine understanding of that they have nothing on their own to offer God for their salvation. Those who understand their bankruptcy and their spiritual bankruptcy and need for a savior. Those who mourn, those who recognize and mourn the evil in this world. Man, we should mourn when evil takes place in this world because we live in an evil world. We, we have seen evidences over and over and over over the past year throughout this country and over the past few months in our own city. Our hearts should grieve because of the evil in this world. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. And this is a challenging one because Jesus calls us to love our enemies. And if we are to walk in love towards our enemies, how much more should we walk in love towards those who are closest to us? This is a challenge of selflessness. This is a challenge to, be, to, to, to love and to give beyond your natural capacity. And, and if we're called to love our enemies, man, how much more are we called to love those who are closest to us? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I, I, it's such a, a yearning and, and, and such deep-hearted desire for God's justice and for the redemption of the oppressed. Also, this yearning to do God's will. And as we yearn to do God's will and understand that we are people, if we are followers of Christ, who are purposed and driven by reconciliation, man, our heart is to see the broken reconciled and then to see reconciliation happen in all the little subcategories of culture. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We yearn for God's justice. The merciful, this one's, this one's super hard too. This is offering forgiveness. 
for those who are guilty and compassion for those who are suffering. Sometimes I feel like compassion for those who are suffering is pretty easy if I've got a couple of bucks and there's someone on the corner, but man, to forgive those who are clearly guilty and honestly don't care to be forgiven. Those who are pure in heart, those who are morally upright in their relationship with God as well as their relationship with others. And then we have the peacemakers, those who pursue reconciliation over vengeance. Sometimes I think as a culture we confuse reconciliation and vengeance, but again, God has purposed us to be people of reconciliation like God pursued reconciliation with us through the person of Jesus and then the persecuted. Those whose lives are placed in danger or whose lives have been lost for the furtherance of the message of Jesus. In this last year, in the year 2016, it, has been, it was reported that 90,000 people died for their faith in Jesus. And actually that number is down from 2015 when it was reported that 105,000 Christians were martyred for their faith in Christ simply for loving Jesus and counting their lives nothing on earth without him. In 2015, 105,000 Christians were killed. 2016, 90,000. If we look at just last year, that's one Christian being killed every six minutes because of their faith in Jesus. And as Jesus concludes his Beatitudes, his final blessing, as he goes through this list, he, it, goes from blessed, it goes from blessed are those who to blessed are you. He flips the script a little bit and he says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for the sake of Jesus. And here Jesus begins to summon us to a greater honor than simply being a prophet, than simply being a pastor, than simply being a Christian. He, he, he summons us to bear the name, the honor, the fame, the glory, and message of Jesus. The characteristics that Jesus lists as belonging to the to people of the coming kingdom are those Jesus himself exemplifies. And I love the fact that Jesus never calls us to something that he is not either willing or has done himself. Sometimes I think we look at, I, I, can, I can fall into my relationship with Jesus as almost like a, a, a matriarchy or a hierarchy of like, Jesus is the general manager, you know, and I'm the line worker. You know what I mean? Like he's telling, I'm flipping burgers and he's just kind of chilling in the air. I don't know how that, if any of that's true, but like, I, you know, like I feel like there's, but, but we have to understand that as we walk and follow after Jesus, we're not walking on an untread path, but we are walking behind him. We are walking uh, in the steps that he made because he's gone before us. He's prepared the way that you and I walk when we live out our faith. And I love that Jesus never calls us to do something or to go somewhere or to say something that he has not done, said, or gone himself. Jesus exemplifies this leading servant mentality of the kingdom of God. Man, we are dependent on God to be who we can't be on our own. And as we become and walk closer to Jesus, our identities do change. We go from being a what to a who. It's not what we do but it's whose we are. Our identities change and we become more like Jesus. Our hearts beat and break for the things that his heart beats and breaks for. We'll see people and situations differently, not for our convenience, but for God's glory, even in the face of persecution.
And so we don't simply be changed for the sake of being changed. We do something with this new life, with this new identity, this new character. And that is to change, be a part of changing the world. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, same passage, but we're just going to hit this again. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth, he's calling us to bring out a flavor through our existence. I think too often as Christians, we live our lives in this kind of way. When we look at salt, we look at the salt that preserves. Preserves a way of life that we may find convenient and comfortable where we exist inside of a holy huddle until we either die or Jesus comes back without regard for those who are living and dying every day without the knowledge and heart understanding that there's a God who loves them so much that he sent his son to die in my place, to die in your place, to die in their place for the forgiveness of their sins so that, that we can be in right standing with God both on earth as well as in eternity. But Jesus is saying, don't simply, don't preserve, but bring flavor too through our lives, bringing out a new flavor and make this world a better place in the process. And this leads me to a very uncomfortable question that the Holy Spirit asked me. And if the Holy Spirit asked me, I'm going to ask you the same thing. And the uncomfortable question is this. I'm going to read a bunch of lists, but this is the question. Is your blank better because you're there? Is your community, is your workplace, is your school, is your family, are your relationships, is your whatever you need to fill that blank in with, is it better because you're there? What flavor are you bringing out through your life? Because Jesus tells us what useless salt is good for, and it's good for nothing. And so our salvation, honestly, is good for nothing if we're not living it out or bringing out a God flavor to wherever he's placed us with. See, the truth is your salvation, Jesus' forgiveness, it may get you out of hell, but it's good for nothing if it's not used. It's the same thing goes with Jesus' analogy of the lamp. Lamps are useless in fully lit rooms. Our living room often has all the lights on because why not? <laughs> I don't know. It's just somehow all over. And, then, and, and I have caught myself numerous times just kind of finding that one lamp that's not on and then in a fully lit room, I just go over and I flip it on. I probably look like a crazy person because I'm walking into a fully lit room and just kind of does nothing. It does nothing. That corner of the house is already lit. Because all the other thousand metaphoric lights that are on. But where are lamps needed? In dark areas. See, we're called to bring light to dark places of this world. Our world is tripping over itself in darkness. And we as Christians can be critical and sit back and damn a world going to hell or... 
we can do something about it. And I believe that God would clearly say to us this morning is where there is darkness, then go there. Then go there. Bring out flavor and be light. This took me a long time to understand, and I've got to get this off of my chest because I feel like if it doesn't get off of my chest, my heart is going to explode. But what is the point of Jesus saving you if it doesn't help anybody else? What is the point of Jesus' sacrifice? Yes, it may get us out of hell, and that's great. But if that's all it does, what's the point? What's the point? So I, I have one last story, and then I'm, I'm done this morning. Last story is, as we close. This past week, I got to MC at a, at a worship conference um, hosted at North Central University right downtown. And it was a ton of fun, and, and God moved in incredible ways. Man, I got to see things and be a part of things, and I got to watch my, I, and this is so cool, I got to watch my six-year-old daughter make the decision to follow Jesus, uh, to invite Jesus into her heart and in her life. It was such an amazing, I mean, just an amazing week. So many incredible things. And during the Thursday morning session, a friend of mine, a buddy of mine, Eric Samuel Tim, he's a traveling evangelist and painter, and the dude's just ridiculously talented. It actually bugs me when I'm around him because he's so, you know, like those people that you're around that are just good at like everything. Like that's, I just hate, hate him and love him. Anyway. Um, and so Eric, Eric was, was sharing about the fact that as creatives, whether we're singers, whether we're artists, whether musicians or worship leaders or painters or whatever, he's, we're speaking to a group of creatives in this conference. He said, we can either be talented or gifted, or he's talking about the fact that we can either be broken or anointed. And he says, if you are talented and gifted, your talent and your gift will only allow you to get to a certain spot. But, if you're, but your talentedness and your giftedness, when it comes out of a brokenness and an anointing of Jesus and the Holy Spirit has no uh, boundary. It was an amazing conversation. I'm going to try and get him here to share it because it was just, it was so good. But Eric told this story that I believe applies to us here as we conclude this message. It's about a man named Dick Brogdon, and Dick Brogdon works uh, with the Assemblies of God, works for an organization called Live Dead, and what Live Dead does is it plants churches in very uh, sensitive areas throughout the world. It's an amazing, an amazing organization. I would highly encourage you, man, find out about this. You can check them out online, but they plant churches in highly sensitive areas throughout the world where Christianity is heavily persecuted. And the story goes that one day Dick was walking through kind of a market square area and as he was walking down one of the streets that was a potential target for one of the church plant teams to come in, he was walking by a man and there was a, a, the man, the, him and this man locked eyes and walked by. It was a very casual occurrence, but, but Dick said that this man, as he walked by, he felt just the radiating presence of evil. Dick tells the story of the fact that it was so, it almost knocked him off of his feet, just the evil that was, that was at work inside of this man. And they weren't doing anything but walking by, and, and, and Dick, as he continued to walk through the streets, he was having this ongoing conversation with God about how God could allow evil like that to continue to exist in the world, and how God could allow uh, people to live without a knowledge and understanding of the sacrifice that Jesus paid. It was just kind of this understanding of, God, if you are in control, why would you allow this to exist? And the Holy Spirit prompted Dick with another question beyond the, the, what felt like hundreds of questions that Dick Brogdon was ask, asking God. And the Holy Spirit prompted Dick with this question, and the question was this. 
He goes, yes, you felt evil when you walked by this man. But you have the Holy Spirit of the living God alive inside of you. Dick, let me ask you, what did that man feel when he walked by you? This life that God has called us to live cannot be lived without a full dependence on the strength and power of God. And as we talk a lot about identity, and as we talk a lot about what we are or who we are, what we have to do is continue to allow God to form us and shape us to become more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, we bring out his flavor and his light to the areas of our lives he's placed us in, and we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, even in the midst of persecution. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. And I thank you so much for the words of Jesus in, in the Sermon on the Mount, but specifically in, in, in this, chap, this part of Matthew chapter 5. God, you've called us to something big. You've called us to something significant. And, and, and God, I pray, Lord, that none of us would be of the understanding that we can do it on our own. But God, would you help us to remain dependent on you through the good times and the bad. God, as we live out this life waiting for your kingdom to come, Father, may we not simply sit back and wait, but God, may we play the part, the active role that you've called us each to if we are followers of you. God, help us bring out your flavor in the world. Help us be light in the midst of dark places. God, help us to be sound, act, love like Jesus. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Motion City Church Podcast. We hope that you have a great week. We would love to invite you to join us at Motion City Church every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. at Falwell School in South Minneapolis. To find out more information about Motion City Church, please go to www.motioncitychurch.com or you can follow us at Motion City MN on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter.